Hello, everybody. This is Saturday morning at Bible study class at the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey. And we're so glad you could all join us. And thank God Thomas joined us because <laughs> he's our moderator from New York. So go ahead, Tom. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. So uh, with our uh, starting quote, he who is obedient to truth has immense power for service. Well, this is from Gems of Elucidation, attributed to Mary Baker Eddy, which is found in Christian Science, It's Clear, Correct, Teaching, and Complete Writings by Herbert W. Eustace, CSB, on page 1035. So let me repeat that again. He who is obedient to truth has immense power for service. <clears throat> Wonderful. Really, really appropriate. Thank you for this Bible study, for this lesson. Truth is God, so if you're not obedient to God, then you cannot do what he wants you to do. Our times generally, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's the answer to number two. <laughs> Part of it. Yes. Right. It, 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 it all it intertwines with the questions today. Mm -hmm. So. Um, well, one of the reasons I really like this is, and um, by the way, this is a pretty interesting chapter, let's say, in Eustace's book, but uh, so these are, uh, uh, th that chapter has uh, quotes from Mary Baker Eddy. So in this one, what I thought was stood out to me, and, and uh, yes, I, I felt the same way about the obedience to truth in question number two, but then it says that you get immense power. Well, oh, that's that kind of cool, right? But it, it ends with for service. Yeah. So this brings to me images of, uh, you know, the ancient prophets and all the things they did, like Elijah and, and Moses and uh, all those uh, uh, people we look to for this, the wonderful things that they did. Um, but how did they get there? And that's what I was thinking when I was thinking about this, uh, the ancient prophets. You know, they were, they were first obedient, very faithful um, and then what they do with that, uh, they, uh, if for service to help other people. Wonderful. Absolutely. <clears throat> Perfect description of that. Because all, you know, people who want power, well. <laughs> well, and then there are people who think that they can gain power by other methods. Other than obedience to truth. And they fool themselves, don't they? And for the right, the right desire to do what God wants you to do. Exactly. It has to be for service. I thought that was a huge point you brought up, Tom. How did they get there? In other words, it didn't fall out of the sky and land in their lap. Right. It was earned by faithful obedience and by being following truth, in other words, being trustworthy. You know, Mrs. Eddy says in her writings that 
the greatest good isn't placed in the trust of those that are not unworthy. It's in place in those who earned their trustworthiness. And therefore, they could be trusted to be the servant. And I think from the Bible, too, these stories, it seems like God prepares whoever along the way. I'm thinking of David and all that he went through, and of course the others, Joseph, all of them. God prepares them, I'm sure. And all of them, I see that humble heart that can be molded, so to speak. So. Yeah, and they all have had tests along the way, haven't they? Yeah. And they, and they prove their faithfulness. By passing the tests. Yeah, that's in the responsive reading this week. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep us his commandments or no. Hmm. And and did you get that 40 years thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I certainly got that because that's when I came here. <laughs> so, <laughs> it took 40 years to be ready for playing field. <laughs> okay, well, yes. And, and sometimes your wilderness experience is not over in an hour. Well, this is not like an SAT test. You know, <laughs> <all I do. laughs> but as you're being humbled and tried, there's always the, you know, you'll always have the signs and the encouragement. It might not be the, the answer to the one problem you were seeking, but there will be other things that will encourage and help you along the way. You're never without God's presence and power. And, and it's, a, it's a wonderful experience, although maybe when you're in the thick of it, you might not think so. <laughs> and it never, does it ever end? No. No. There are forms. Um, and, but I think there is an end to the, the maybe most severe part of it, <clears throat> because then when you have been proven and you have been faithful and maybe it's taken 40 years, well, then, yeah, then there are some blessings and rewards that come. But again, those are only byproducts of this wonderful sense of your unity with God which this, again, this Bible class is going to bring out and this lesson brings out. It's only a byproduct because that is, that is the true meat that you have gained. Your God is real. What can be better than that? And once you've passed enough of these tests, you, you no longer fear persecution. You no longer fear adversity. You no longer fear death, right? Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. You no longer fear the crap that the world is going to throw at you for standing for truth. And you know, you also have a, when little things happen, you have a gladness of heart that you feel. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Right. And it is a joy that no man takes from you. And a peace that passeth all understanding. And all that anxiety that was so chronic and that you suffered from is over. You might go periods of time of concern, and, but not the way it once was. 
because no you're more. real. Go ahead. I said no more. Yes, it does. It does come to an end. It's a wonder, really. Sometimes I, I wonder. Sometimes I, I really didn't think I would ever get rid or I'll be rid of anxiety. But here it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Here it is. And I think it's it's instructive that this sentence ends with for service because you know what about people who try to be obedient to truth and gain power for some selfish purpose right mm-hmm. I mean isn't don't we see that I mean I don't we have to deal with it ourselves <laughs> at times yeah. yeah we want God to help us for some selfish purpose and when that doesn't work, what's the problem? Is, is God the problem? No. No, the mo- motive is the problem. And, you know, that was so beautifully brought out in that story of Job, because <clears throat> he, he didn't get everything returned to him until he, he was willing to help his friends. He prayed for his friends. Yep. Prayed for his friends, helped his friends. His, his motive became unselfed. Mrs. Eddy said all that she accomplished was due to unselfed, unselfing <laughs> prayers. Not just unselfish, but unselfed, and there is a difference. So that's how she accomplished what she did. And as Tom said so well, all those prophets, yes, it was all of that was for service. And we, we, we heard it read recently, Pond and Purpose. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yep. When Mrs. Eddy encourages all of us. To drink the living waters. To drink the- drink with her. Drink with her the living waters. What is something about her life purpose? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And share with her her life purpose. Of giving the world a practical, um, not a truth, practical and operative Christian science. Yeah. That was how she accomplished all that she did, and it was quite wonderful. And the interesting thing about this is, there's no single thing that everybody has to do to be of service. Mm-hmm. Everybody has something different to do to be of service. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to be a preacher in the church, right? This is where, you know, Christian science, uh, if we recognize the science as operative in every every aspect of our life that you know if we recognize it that it is our life everything that we do will be of service to god and to mankind everything we do whether it's in our home in our business in our church whatever we do will be of service to god then go ahead yeah go ahead no i was just 
appreciating this because it gave me a new sense of moral courage. And that's why I see you have to be unself, otherwise you wouldn't have the, if you think about, uh, I think it was Elijah, Elijah, which one stood up to Jezebel? You'd have to be pretty unselfed. And this, right? just listening made sense to me now where moral courage comes from. Yeah, it's very true. And there can be no fear, even if it's to life itself, um, because you know that your life without God is nothing anyway, and that your life is in God, so and there is no death. So you become, you get that moral courage that you wouldn't have. And that is the perfect love that John referred to, yeah. that he said, casts out fear. Mm -hmm. And also, there's no greater love than to lay your life down. Lay down your life for your friend. Yeah. And one of Mrs. Eddy's quotes, love is a powerful spiritual force. And that quote from Pond and Purpose, drink with me the living waters of the spirit of my life purpose to impress humanity with a genuine recognition of practical, operative Christian science. That last sentence, and we should all know it and take part in it to whatever extent we can. Well, great. So, um, yeah, we could talk about this one sentence all for an hour, couldn't we? <laughs> Isn't this interesting? You often the quotes are uh, go on for like a paragraph. <laughs> I know. No, that's right. There's just one sentence. Just one sentence. Eleven words. Wow. <laughs> that's why, just one other thing. That's why when people want more and more to work with, okay, it's not, it's not necessary. <laughs> Take one, just do that one sentence. You'll have a lifetime of work. So yeah. <laughs> it means you missed the first one. <laughs> that breaks it right. Right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Other words, but a profound thought. Absolutely profound. Well, I'm very excited about today's uh, Bible study. So our, our topic is the New Covenant, and, uh, you know, this kind of reflects our lesson this week on sacrament, which talks about the New Covenant. And so I think this is a very uh, appropriate way to start out the uh, the year. Um so, like I said, I'm looking very forward to this discussion. Um, our Bible readings are, of course, uh, from the lesson, and then there are a few other verses added in to kind of support our Bible study this week. So, with our first question is, uh, what do we know about the town of Capernaum? Well, it was... Um Jesus mentioned it quite often in, in the gospel. It was never mentioned in the Old Testament. It was the chosen home of Jesus after he was driven from Nazareth by the religious officials. There were many important miracles, or so-called miracles, or healings, that were done in Capernaum. Um, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was healed there, the centurion's son, Jesus cast out the unclean spirit. Jairus' daughter was healed. 
brought back to life the healing of the woman with the bleeding issue. But the the thing about um, Capernaum was that even with all the um, and, and he taught in the synagogue there, but with all the signs that Capernaum, the people of Capernaum were shown about um, what Jesus was showing them, they would not accept the truth. Um, they, it says here in this comment, the city of Capernaum represents many who have been exposed to the gospel may enjoy going to church and consider themselves Christians by association, but gives them a false sense of assurance that they are right with God, when in reality, Jesus will one day say to them, Away from me, you evildoers, I never knew you. Um, the people of Capernaum heard and saw what Jesus did and refused to believe. And um, it would probably cost them too much, would disrupt their comfortable religious life, it would challenge them to repent of sin and pride, love the unlovely, give up all to follow him. And so they just, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't believe him. Well, some did. Yeah, we don't want to generalize too much yeah, because, because it was the home of uh, Simon and Andrew and James. Yes. And- Where it goes. I had so much fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> Google uh, Capernaum 2,000 years ago. And, and here and now it, 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 it's a park. And it's kept by a monk. Who, and it's beautiful. And they have places for people to visit. And you can see the, you can see the Sea of Galilee where uh, he gathered his disciples. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I found too. This was it was Sergio and Rhoda or something. It was like a tour of Capernaum, a little ten minute oh, yeah, tour. I, I I doubt I'll ever get there. So it was beautiful to see that. But yeah, he healed he healed Peter Peter's mother in law there, and um, so yeah, certainly there was some good things. It was called the Village of Comfort, or that's what Capernaum means. And um, well, it was a you know it was a fairly well off fishing village yeah yeah um, up on the sea there and it was not a large not a large city but it was you know medium size kind of city and and there were um, a lot of people who were helpful to Jesus uh, along the way um, not everybody obviously but they didn't uh, drive him out like <laughs> but they out. didn't drive right they didn't drive him out like they did in Jerusalem and other places it's also where he healed the man who was lame that, that uh, people brought to him. And in one of the commentaries we looked at, it said that he said to the lame man, take up your bed and go home, child. And he did. Yeah, and I saw, too, it was where he, he questioned, you know, are you all going to leave me? Or I don't know that quote exactly, but was it Peter who said, well, where, where, would, where, we else go? would, we go? where else would we go? And that's a very important statement because that's true for many of you I've heard say that as well where would we go because you have the truth yes because you have the truth so where where can we go so there must have been something good there because it was where Jesus went when he uh, he made it his home when he first started his uh, you know his missionary work 
Yeah, began his, and he called it. He said he was going to his own city, and his own city was Capernaum. And um, interesting, but the um, Capernaum, the name comes from the Hebrew word kapur, which is um, the price of a human life, the purchasing price and maintenance of keeping a person. And then the other verb, nehemen, means to be sorry or to have compassion and often, often to comfort and console. So I thought it was interesting because it combined um, in this Bible or in this Hebrew um, dictionary, it says the verb often describes God's attitude toward mankind. And this is where Jesus came from. Yeah. Well, I keep getting the picture. You know, we talk about Jesus. He taught on the Galilean hillsides. And I think tradition has it that lots of people went to hear him on various occasions. I'm not so quite sure there was a formal invitation that went out, but somehow there was this attraction that lots of people went to hear him teach and speak. Now, how many of them really got it? How many of them accepted it? Whatever, we may not know. But the seed was planted, and it did tremendous good. I, I thought it was just a beautiful picture. Oh, did enough good that they didn't drive them out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that was and, – and it did – in that tour, you take it, you know, there were ancient – two ancient synagogues, one built on the other. I guess the one in the bottom was the one where Jesus went to the synagogue to preach. And it also felt there is is actually where the where Peter's home was, where where Jesus did the healing of his mother-in-law, and they have it, so you can look down at it in the ancient ruins, um, and they feel pretty strongly that that is actually where it was. So, so anyway, all of those things are interesting, maybe not essential, but interesting. <laughs> and I like I like to learn more about everything. That I can, and they did have. Um, good, I, I, yeah, yeah. Go it ahead. says they had good food in Capernaum. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So, uh, all the more reason. Uh, oh, yeah. I think we should all go to Capernaum. <laughs> Tom, were you there? Because you I was there. Yes. You there? I okay. walked through the synagogue. I walked through the octagonal church. Uh, I walked around the uh, ruins of the village there. Um, yeah, it's, um, inspiring. It's, uh, awesome. Uh, right yeah. there on the... There was something really there. I mean, yeah, so they've... This well, was, you know, this was, uh, where Jesus started his ministry, so it's... Yes. I mean, on my, my visit to Israel, I, I sort of felt like there were two really, really big highlights. One was, of course, Jerusalem, and there's a lot there. And the other was Capernaum. Wow. I mean, a lot of other highlights, too. But I would put those two up there as the top two. Jerusalem and Capernaum. Well, Jesus made it his home. There's got to be something there. I That's probably all. had the most fun in uh, Nazareth, though. The most fun? <laughs> <laughs> most fun. The most huh? fun I probably had was in Nazareth, yes. Mm -hmm. Fascinating place. Um, it's a mixture of uh, Jewish religions, uh, Jewish, uh, Christian, and Muslim, and it's an old town, and 
no street is straight. You can get lost before you know it. Um, yeah, just a fascinating place. Okay. Well, thank you. So that's Capernaum. So I hope we had all fun with, um, I think someone said they had fun doing this uh, with our first question about what is the town of Capernaum. <laughs> um, so I think it's always interesting to talk, learn something about the Bible, just Bible facts, right? So not just always yes. focus on inspiration. Um, but, um, you know, I'll just throw this out there, a discussion for another time. But, uh, you know, perhaps uh, somewhere down the road we, we think about as a church organizing a trip over to Israel. So something to think about. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> we'll let you organize yeah, so it. <laughs> the person who comes up with the idea has to do it. <laughs> well, you know, I'd love to do that because, see, what we could do is we could have a study group and we could study the places we're going to. So, you know, rather than just going on a trip and learning for the first time when you go there, we, we learn before we go there and then we get to actually see. Um, and I think that is going to be much... Um, deeper for us, like to have studied before we went there. Yeah. But anyway. I think you Sign me up. I'm going. <laughs> Great. Who said sign me up? That's Suzanne. I was just Suzanne, okay, was... number one on the list. All right, yeah. Suzanne. Thank you. <laughs> She's our world traveler, Suzanne. Oh good. Okay. Um question number two. So what does this mean? Quote, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Now, uh, before anybody answers, I also want to say um, the topic is a new covenant. It's based on our lesson this week. So um, any, any sort of um, insights, inspiration you got from reading the lesson this week, um, that would be fantastic you bring this up as we go through the questions. Or anything else is fine, too, but I just wanted to mention that. So thank you. Okay. Well, this, I thought this was a wonderful. It's a great question. Yeah, great question. Great question to think Any, about. Anybody want to stick Def their neck out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there was something from the blue book that uh, were from Mrs. Eddy on page 282. And she wrote, we must cease quibbling, cease to emit in our thinking the reality and power in themselves of misery, pain, and evil in all its forms. We must think steadily and persistently the truth which stands opposite to them. We do, this, we do in this way overcome our discordant conditions of consciousness. Now, everyone that persists in this course several times a day will have the following. And then she has a list of many things. On the set in the seventh, uh, she has them one, two, three. And on the, in the seventh, it says within it, signs of peace within which all the tempests of mortal belief cannot destroy, a holy of holies with ever-burning lamp, a covenant with God, the all-good. A, the peace which passeth all understanding, a peace which is above and beyond happiness. But I thought it was beautiful that she said it was a covenant with God, the all good. Thank you. That's beautiful. Yeah. That explains it well. 
So would someone like to read the definition from the glossary for Abraham? Okay, I'll read. Abraham. Fidelity. Faith in the divine life and in the eternal principle of being. This patriarch illustrated the purpose of love to create trust in good and showed the life-preserving power of spiritual understanding. Life-preserving power of spiritual understanding. This is our vaccination, my friends. So what does it mean to fear God, to fear the Lord? To love him. Yeah, to love to and obey re- him. Yes, to love obey. it. Yes. To have that reverence of God, honor him, be in awe of his holiness. Yes. And what is the secret? Well, Mrs. Eddie says in Science and Health, in the, um, um, the secret is the consciousness of love. The, um, it's, the, it's our one that, at one minute with God, that, that communication between God and you know, that absolute oneness with the one mind. Yeah, yeah, and what 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 comes from God in that communication? Is there anything other than the truth? Anything other than love? Anything other than divine principle? I feel the assurance is what of His nearness, His ever presence with us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's everything good. It's everything that leads to spiritual understanding. And why is it called a secret? Because if you don't have that relation with God, you cannot feel it. You don't, it's there, but it's a secret. Uh, it's known to those who are living it, having that reference, <clears throat> having that God with me in everything I do. That's what cultivates that knowing. <clears throat> with us mm-hmm. yeah. a good answer yeah Thank I you. mean it's these are things that are perceived only through spiritual sense right right mm-hmm. so someone who is materially minded or worldly minded can they hear can they perceive no to them it's a secret it's kept from them. It's not. They keep it from themselves. Yeah, their worldliness blocks yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, the materially minded, the worldly minded, to them it's a mystery, right? And and they'll even get mad at you because they don't understand it. Well, and in some ways, wasn't that with the Pharisees and Jesus? And certainly with Mrs. Eddy, people just were enraged. I mean, not just a little, but enraged. The carnal mind is enraged by the things of God. The Gill, the Gill commentary said, secret communion with God is enjoyed by them who fear, obey, and love him, which is what the world knows nothing of, and, and a joy, and the secret of the gospel and the mysteries of it, which were kept secret since the world began, 
will become plain. Didn't that happen to Mrs. Eddy when she, she, everything unfolded to her in Genesis and Revelation and all the mysteries and the secrets in the Bible were opened? It, it's a marvelous thing. And, and what is so marvelous about it, too, is it's totally protected. You can't take it by force. You can't take it just because you want it or demand it or, or angry or you're going to steal it or whatever else. It's impossible. There's only one way to get it. And that's through obedience and love of God. And if you don't do that, you just won't get it until you learn to do that. And you can't give it by force either. You cannot give it. You can't. You can't. Everyone has to come upon it themselves. But it requires trust in good, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It requires faith in good. And as we've talked about many times... You know, the obedience, you must obey. So you, you put out your Ten Commandments or your Sermon on the Mount, and you have to obey those, even if you don't understand, even if you can't understand how you could love your enemy. You, you've got you've to do it. And then after that, after working on yourself where you get where you can, then you understand why. And then more things open up to you. Um, but... You, you've got to be obedient to his precepts, and those are some of the precepts. Sermon on the Mount, Ten Commandments. Um, and if you're not, this, these wonderful secrets, this presence and power of God with you, immense power for service, you will receive this immense power for service. That'll all be denied. Till you obey. Till you earn it. You have to, yes. Yeah, I, I wrote an opposite view of that initial quote. He, is, he who is disobedient to truth has no power to be useful to God. So. <laughs> or, or to me. Or anyone. But I like that, that idea of the secret. I know a lot of times since coming here and learning all of this, I've thought, how did I miss this before? <laughs> so... But that's why. Yeah, and then it, then it becomes really clear and obvious. It's mm -hmm. like, wow, aha, yes. And that's what it means in the Bible where it says your life is hid with Christ in God. Yes. It, it's, hid. it's hidden from the materialism and the false beliefs. And it's protected. And even when Era becomes enraged... And tries everything it, it can to destroy. It won't be able to find you. No. And it, it can't be done. It won't be done. It might seem to be done temporarily like it was in Christ Jesus's, where he was crucified, but he overcame it all. Because they never found his Christ. That's right. They couldn't destroy the Christ, which was his life. They thought they were getting rid of what is Mrs. Eddy calls it? Troublesome truth. <laughs> yeah. But they couldn't. They couldn't see it. They couldn't find it. And they couldn't get rid of it. Mrs. Eddy says in the blue book, abide in the 91st Psalm. And uh, I have committed that to memory, but I just, I love the secret places of both tie. I, I just feel so safe there. <laughs> Good, thank you. Yes, that that is a perfect treatment. 
the 91st Psalm, she speaks of that along with the Sermon on the Mount um, as being essential. It's wonderful. And, so, and to know it by heart, you can say it to yourself whenever yeah. and wherever. Okay, Tom. Also, oh, for this uh, uh, verse, I thought it was uh, uh, very useful to read um, one of the other um, Bible versions. Um, so I'll, I'll pick this one. New Living Translation is where this is coming from. Um, so um, it says here, The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. Yes. I think that's kind of some of the things we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, I saw that too. I thought that was interesting, the idea. It, it, it puts you, well, one said Jesus, is, Jesus cite, cited obedience to his commandments as the prerequisite to friendship with him. Um, friendship is a, is a wonderful thing to have with Christ Jesus, even with God. And Gil also says that this, this um, obedience puts his spirit into them to implant covenant grace in them, to seal up the blessing of it to them. So, and this covenant, covenant again, what is that? It's you are pledging your obedience to God, and then he blesses you for that obedience. And it's, a, it's an individual thing that all must do. It used to be commonly done. Now we all must do it. Make it commonly done. Swear our allegiance to him. And it requires consecration. You know, our whole heart dedicated to that higher purpose of living, serving, obeying him. Yes, thank you. And that is, that is the thrust of this lesson. The consecration of it. You can't do this lightly. You can't say, oh, I'll do it on Monday and forget it until Sunday. It, it's, it's this, and the more you do it, the more consecrated you need to be, you end up becoming. And it starts out, you know, you think it's a choice. Well, I'll choose to obey God or not. But after a while, it's no longer a choice because you know what the stakes are when you don't obey him, don't you? <laughs> it's not a pleasant thing. And so you get hedged in. <laughs> which is a good thing. And, you know, I thought, too, of that chapter on spiritualism, which I love so much, and she says that this obedience to the one mind, um, it enables you to know the past, present, and future. How about that? <laughs> yep. And, and I know in my own experience, the more, I, the more I journey onward, the more my past, I can make, total sense out of my past now. I understand it where before I didn't. The present becomes very plain and clear and even the future. And I can see things that I couldn't normally see and I can see things that are going on in the nation and the world that maybe I had been blinded to before. And, and, then, and then it's like, wow. And then you wonder why others don't see it. <laughs> but again, you've got to, everyone has to come to it on their own. Nobody can do it for you. That's for sure. Because if you try, you get, you get the argument or the, the enraged human mind um, because they don't see it yet. They just have to 
it will be it will be revealed in due time individually and collectively and they think what they see is true and argue for it yes well this this statement this covenant this statement that includes the covenant is really embodied in that sentence that we started out with at the very beginning isn't it yeah it is he who is obedient to truth this is really a statement of the covenant isn't it he who is obedient to truth has immense power for service you obey God and God gives you tremendous power to do what he actually has for you to do he and he cares for you in every way he doesn't leave one spot uncared for and we've seen it with people that come you know and they they really want to obey god and and, and serve him and ways open up and then they demonstrate they demonstrate that serving and it's a great blessing and it's done humbly because if it's not done hum humbly then it's not done it's not done <laughs> And, you know, I, I love in the lesson, if, if Christ's truth has come to us in demonstration, no other com commemoration is requisite, for demonstration is Emmanuel or God with us. And if a friend be with us, why need we memorials of that friend? Your ability to demonstrate is, is Emmanuel, God with you. That's what it is. And that's why in, in those carpenter books where he talks about it over and over and over how to demonstrate how mrs eddie demonstrated how she insisted upon demonstration in her home this is the, this is what it's all about and if you can't do that then then it's what words without deeds and and something's tripping you up and usually it's pride sometimes it's fear or pride and fear go together they are opposite sides of the same coin. Yeah. Yes. But this is how this is how we recognize our what our talents really are, isn't it? You obey God. I mean, we all have talents. We all have things to do. And when we are obedient to God, He shows us what our talents are and what they're to be used for. And when we do that. I mean, what, what greater fulfillment could there possibly be than to have your talent being used for some great good? This is, this is life. This is what we're here for. And you have to be consistent. You can't just do it Wednesday and Sundays. You have to do it all the time continually. It's a consecration we were just speaking about. Yeah. Yes. And it requires a discipline, doesn't it? Because the devil's going to try to distract you. That's a very important point that you have to do it all the time and not just, you know, Sundays and Wednesdays. Because before I came to this church, even though um, I thought I knew I was doing the right thing, I saw clearly um, from what is being taught at this church that, you know, you just can't use God conveniently when you have a problem. 
and turn to him just then or when something comes up. Oh, I have to get my books. I have to work this out. But if you're continually concentrating on God's allness throughout the day in everything that we do, because I never thought of it like, well, I'm, I'm making dinner or I'm cleaning the house or I'm doing laundry, but in everything we do, we have to see God's allness and goodness. Like the woman, I love that story in um, The Liberator about the woman and the preacher, and he asked her, you know, how did she... How did she use God during the day in, in cleaning his house? And she saw his allness, his goodness. And that was so impressive to me. And that's really what this church teaches. And that is a very important thing to me. It is very important. And this is, this is I, again, I thank God for those early workers, those books that were so-called unauthorized, because that's how we learned it. It's in Martha Wilcox. It's certainly in the Carpenter books. It's how Mrs. Eddy demonstrated on a daily basis. Yeah, not just when you're sick, you, oh, my, I need God. Ring, ring, ring. I'll call him up and get some help, um, <laughs> which is how I used to think of it. I didn't know better. So, yes, thank you, Janet. Okay, so um, we'll go on to question number three. Um, question is, who teaches the children? <laughs> well, first, it's the parents. You know, when they're being raised, it's the parents. But the ultimate teaching is from God. And so the ultimate teaching, in my mind, is that to teach the children to listen to God, because He's the teacher, really. He's the, all our thoughts come from him. So if a child can learn <clears throat> what that voice sounds like and to recognize it and to know that it's with them all the time, that's the true teaching. Very good. And to re not only recognize it, but to obey it. Yes. Yeah. And that's where the example of the parents is really important, isn't it? Yes. Because we can't expect yeah. our children to be any more obedient to God than we are. And it's our example more than words. Yeah. That makes yeah. morals for mankind. That was, yeah, the reason <laughs> that day. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Mrs. Eddy says that... Uh, she says the mother is the most important educator, right? Yeah. 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 And we've, we've talked about uh, a lot of the prophets in the Bible and kind of remarkable how they all had remarkable mothers, didn't they? Yeah. Yes, they did. One standout is Solomon. You know, we just talked about not too long ago, Bible study with Solomon and how his mother dedicated him to the church. That was Samuel. Oh. Samuel. <laughs> Samuel, excuse me, Samuel. 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 
Well, and as Linda had said so well a long time ago, that you make every moment with your children what, Linda? Sunday school moment. A Sunday school moment. And if Even you, if it's just quiet, you know, being about it with them. <clears throat> and not necessarily say anything, but how you're thinking about them and looking at them. That's it. Mm-hmm. Knowing the truth for them and about yeah. them. Yeah. I think this is so important, this relation with children and God, because... I love this uh, in hymn number 399 where it says that God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. And I feel that from that relationship, each one's relationship with God, mm-hmm. he does real things to you and make it plain the way you can understand it. So. Yes. Yeah. yeah, because everyone needs a different a different way, a different form of communication, because we're all coming from different places and different points. And uh, so, yes, and that beautiful prayer in the blue book about, dear father, let nothing come between thee yeah, and, and, your, and this child. Child, yes. But just a beautiful, simple prayer. And those of you who looked into Matthew Henry, what he said about it, he goes on, you know, wherever you are, you're just teaching in the fields and everywhere you are, you're just turning their little thoughts to the Father. And, it, you know, when you look for those moments, you can find them, can't you? They're just always with us. Always. You can tell them about history, how people in history turn to God, um, how they prevailed under awful circumstances through God. You can look at the beautiful things of nature and talk about God's creation. Everything turns us to God. And Miss Sadie says that nothing unworthy of perpetuity should be transmitted to children. So that means that we have to know what is worthy of perpetuity <laughs> so that we don't transmit. So That's right. That's true. Oh, boy. Yes. So it seems like it ends up being the whole community at uh, one point because it says from every moment. And so everything they're exposed to, the schools, the media. So eventually you would have to have a great cleansing. I mean, you'd have to have everybody doing this. So that yes, all around them. And that's what we need to know for our awake, great awakening and our renaissance of the country where it will be taught again everywhere. In the meantime, now that it isn't, we, we give it to them in the homes or wherever we can. Um, Sunday school. In the Sunday school, certainly. And wherever we can to uh, neutralize what they're learning yeah. in other places. Well, I know with my kids, sometimes I would show them different things of how not to act and, like, what the result was. Um, I had a cousin that was always going to jail, so (laughs) I I would tell them, okay, you see how he is? You see what he's doing? Okay, this is what you don't do in life. (laughs) Yeah, you know, that's – thank you. Because some children are brought up with very negative examples – I mean, Jeremy was brought up with negative examples, but his his uh, wisdom within him learned. He, he saw. Well, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to do that. I don't. And, and, and we can my know that. Father and a few things like that. Yeah, and he had a few good grand words from his grandfather that helped him. But um, 
I've seen that in many instances where children have brought up in terrible situations and yet they became very godly children. Well, and that's true of your grandchildren, Mallory and Isaiah. They've had difficult times, haven't they? They most certainly did. And they are very Christly children. Yeah, they're wonderful children. They, even despite all the conflicts that they had to grow up with, Seems like such a cruel thing to do to kids to raise them in an environment like that. But God is at the helm. And not only that, God is their mind. He's, he's the essence of their being. And they grasp it. I can remember one time when I sat down with them and we compared two words, God and good, and noted how similar they are. One has one extra little O. And next thing you know, Mallory speaks up and says, you mean God and good are two different words, but they really mean the same thing. And this came from an eight-year-old little kid. She grasped the whole idea just like that. It's within so, them. It's, it's within, within them. them. Yeah. Eight-year-old so, with the same mind, the Christ mind. <laughs> so it begs the question, who was the teacher? <laughs> yes, that's it. And a little child shall lead them. So never despair. Just keep pouring out those truths and being an example and know it will reach whoever, wherever, whenever it's needed, and it does. And God is everything. Yeah, we, we started out with the parents being the teacher, but then the next verse, verses in Psalms, are about who's the teacher. Psalm 71. We shall be all taught. Okay, it says here, O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. God has taught us from our youth. Luann's another example. She went through such difficult childhood, came out, and through that whole time had a love for good and a love for God. Right, Luann? That is true. <laughs> that is true. And look at her. The whole time a lot of things were going on in my home, I, I still never felt compelled to to act out I mean, in my heart, you know? I mean, there was a lot of things I had to do to survive, but as far as just being angry, like you see a lot of kids today, they're just, they're doing drugs and they're they're out on the streets and all, all that stuff and they're very angry. I think I, I did know that in my heart that there was a good and loving God and someday I would come through it. I mean, a lot of my actions didn't show that because I, I wasn't a battle for survival. But I think real, really truly in my heart that I knew there was a good God and I finally made that connection and finally found him wonderful it, it really is what a what a wonderful example so it's in everyone's heart and we've had um i think it was parthens he sent me this book about you know just that it was the worst criminal uh, and the worst prison and just having having something happen to him a dream or an angel visiting or something that totally changed his life and he became a very godly person oh, and yeah. I remember that remember? waking up from an El, El Salvador prison or something yeah. like that it was a really awful awful, awful place, place. <laughs> yeah. yeah 
Yep. Yep. Total transformation. And I don't know whether he had any. He he was in solitary confinement. He didn't have anyone even talking to him, except except, and that's a big except. God. So, your prayers, and I know some of you do special prayers for those in prisons, and um, it's very important. It can change hearts and souls, and and yes, we 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 do so much, but it is God that does it, and God is the teacher. Can I say something? Um, something that I loved about the Thursday watch that all good is already present because. That's all that there is, is God. And it referred, there was a reference to Jeremiah, the covenant that the Lord made with the house of Israel. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And he has done that. He has done it and we must never doubt it. Well, excellent. So uh, let's uh, go to our last question. Uh, What is your response to Micah's question? Quote, wherewith shall I come before the Lord? Unquote. How do we answer this question? (laughs) Well, it's it's kind of answered two verses later, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the question is, how do we make that our own? Yeah, our own. Well, I know when I get crazy thinking of all the things I have to do or be or whatever, it's a good it's a good thing that grounds me to go back to that. That is what's required of me. That's it. If I can do that, then it's all right. So, yeah, it's good to ask, do, do, do I do everything that I do, do I do it justly? Yeah. Humbly. <laughs> Do I do it in, in, in justice to others? And do I love mercy? To me, that means do I love my neighbor as myself? Do I love with a perfect love? Or do I have some selfishness there? Well, I, I found that uh, I read a lot of, in the background of Micah because at the time... Things where uh, people had left God, it, it appeared. And so they were coming back to God. But uh, it said in a commentary that they they offer that which is very rich and costly, yet they do not offer a right. It is was impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin and all proposals of peace, except those according to the gospel. It, it, uh, that's it has to be that, if I may continue. Uh, the good which God requires of us is not the paying a price for the pardon of sin and acceptance with God, but love to God. And what is there unreasonable or hard about this? I like that question. <laughs> Every thought within us must be brought down to be brought into the obedience to God. And that's, Thank you. that's how you get there. Yes. Well, one thing that really fascinated me about this, and the reason I wanted to ask this question is because, you know, this week's lesson on sacrament. You know, there's uh, a lot in the Old Testament, New Testament too, about rituals and ceremony and things like that. And 
So um, a lot about uh, uh, practicing Christianity is going through all the sort of ceremonial stuff. And here, this is written not in the New Testament, but it's written in the Old Testament, which is fascinating to me because so many of the spiritual insights we get aren't, aren't to any particular book in the Bible or just in the New Testament when, with Jesus' ministry, but it's from beginning to end in the Bible. And, and it's very consistent throughout the entire Bible um, is what you're going to find. So I, I don't know. I just personally thought it was an interesting example of that, that uh, the entire Bible has been teaching the same truths from beginning to end. And here it is telling us that uh, we don't need the ceremony, the human ceremony, right? Uh, you know, sacrifice thousands of rams or whatever. Or your firstborn. Yeah, thank you. That you know, you've always emphasized that, and it's very good to see that's what's in the New Testament came from the Old Testament, and we know Jesus's Bible was a lot of it was Deuteronomy. It was this? Mm-hmm. So thank you, Tom. Mm-hmm. I, I, in Spurgeon, I read about walking humbly. He says, "You walk humbly when you are spiritually strong. You walk humbly when you have too much work to do. You walk humbly." in all your motives. You walk humbly when you're studying God's word. You walk humbly under trials. You walk humbly in your devotions. You walk humbly when dealing between you and your brothers in Christ. You walk humbly with dealing with sinners. I I just thought, well, that's a good reminder. Whatever you do, are you walking humbly? Just like a wow. Just easy. I think it's, Go ahead. No, I think it's that meekness that Christ Jesus demonstrated, which gave, which of course makes him the you know greatest man that walked the earth. It was the meekness that made him so strong. No fear, nothing, obeying God only. Yes. Thank you. Which Am- is immense power. Which is why we should never shrink when our pride is hurt. We should always be grateful when our pride is hurt. Because mm-hmm. it shows you've got it. <laughs> and you want to get rid of it. Because pride is not your friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so if you ever if you ever smart over any rebuke or correction, then look inside well, yeah. and see what see what actually got hurt. Yeah, that was such, that has helped me so much because I used to always, oh my gosh, I had so much pride. I was getting my feelings hurt all the time. It was so great when someone could correct me or rebuke me and I didn't react. It was okay. Well, if I can do better, good. Thanks for letting me know. Uh, it was amazing. Um, uh, what a freedom. What a freedom. Yes. <laughs> and along with pride comes shame because, you know, you're so prideful when you do something right. You're so ashamed when you do something wrong. All of that. It's such a good release to get rid of all that. Ah. And how embarrassed that somebody pointed out something I did wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it, it, when you're that way, you never grow. You never learn because you just you can't. You, it's a, such an obstacle. Your pride won't let you. And it's usually lurking on people who aren't having healings. 
is a huge mountain of pride there. And they keep saying, no, there isn't. That was another thing in reading commentaries about walking humbly. You know, the people that think they are really humble. Well, that's a big signal. <laughs> and they're always telling you how humble they are. Uh-oh. <laughs> so proud of their humility. <laughs> so proud of their humility. That's exactly right. Just, ooh, my the next quote in one of the Marvel movies, I too am exceedingly humble. <laughs> <laughs> You're not fooling anyone. God knows. <laughs> So let it go. Take correction. If the correction isn't warranted, then then okay, great. You weren't let it, let let it, it go. Let it go. Still be grateful the person cared enough um, to say something. Well, thank you, Tom. Thank you, Thomas. Yes. Yeah, well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Thomas. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.